Welcome to the Orchard today. I'm glad you are here, whether you are in the building, joining us live stream, or later in the week on podcast. We are so glad you're with us here in week three of our Exodus series. And just to remind some of you who maybe uh, are newer to our church, and to remind those of you who are, have been a part of our church for a long time, the Orchard is a place where we take God at his word. We believe in Jesus above all things, all politics, all earthly agendas, everything. Jesus is the head of this church, and we love God, and we love people. Love people, no asterisks. Um, doesn't mean we have to, and you have to endorse or participate in that, but it does mean we have no excuse but to love the people that God has put around us. Amen? Amen. You know, name, names say a lot about people. The way you talk about somebody, the way you name somebody reveals a lot about how you see them, how you feel about them. I mean, how you talk about your boss when they're not around reveals a lot about how you feel and see about your boss. The way you talk about your spouse when they're not in the room or you're out with your friends reveals a lot about how you see your spouse. Names have power and they reveal the way we feel and see people. I was uh, given the name Daniel, which means God is judge. And this very plaque hung in my bedroom since I was a baby. All growing up, this was there to remind me of my name um, and, and why I was named, who I was. After the prophet Daniel, my parents would speak into that. But there's a lot of people, in fact, there's millions upon millions of people who don't know me as Daniel, right? But there's people who, who know me as Pastor Daniel. I've actually been called Mr. Self. <laughs> I've been called um, D- uh, Doug's, Doug's son. If someone calls me Pastor Dan, I usually know that means that they knew me from my church in Atlanta. Uh, those of you, some people who are my closest, closest friends or even high school athletics call me Selfer. I have some names from my fraternity days that I will not respond and I will not mention. And this time, names are important. They reveal familiarity and context and relationship that you have with somebody. You know, there's only two little children on this planet who get to call me Daddy. And it reveals so much about my heart for them and the relationship we have. And there is one beautiful woman on the earth that calls me my only, and that is my wife. And that name is precious to me. Names are important. They reveal so much. And throughout the Bible, there are many differing names, honorific titles, and references to God. Today, we're going to look at one name in Exodus 3 that has been the cause of more discussion than most things in the Old Testament combined. Now, before I dive in here to Exodus 3, which is so rich in spiritual depth um, that I actually had to split it into two parts. So today, we're going to do a 30,000 flyover of Exodus 3, and we're going to stop to dig into this name of God. And then next week, we're going to do a deep dive into the calling of Moses, because there's so much there that you will find yourself in those pages and how Moses was insecure and how he balked at what God asked him to do. Before we get to the name of God, let's do the flyover of how we got here. Israel was in slavery in Egypt. Moses, a Hebrew boy, was raised in the Egyptian royal courts, if you remember. His stepfamily was ruling with whips and rods and beating his blood relatives. Moses should have been in the huts working 15-hour days in child labor and no education, but instead, he grew up in the royal courts of Egypt. He had the greatest education on the planet Earth at that time. He was spared nothing, fashionable clothing, the best tutors, generous food, pleasures. He, was, he, he had anything he wanted was at his disposal. He was benefiting from the bondage and slavery of his own people. And in Exodus 2, he sees an Egyptian master beating a Hebrew slave, and he steps in between to mediate, and he kills the Egyptian slave master and buries him and hides him. Now, Moses, he wanted to help free his people. 
And we see time after time that Moses is a man who has a heart for injustice and he's willing to step in. But the only problem is, is that word gets out that he had killed this Egyptian and Pharaoh himself wants Moses dead. And so Moses has to flee to the wilderness of Midian. So while he's there, he again comes up some injustice, injustice and he rescues this family of sisters from these marauders as they're getting water at a well. The father of these sisters is a priest of Midian from the line of Abraham, and he invites Moses into his household, blesses Moses by marrying his daughter, and gives Moses a job as a shepherd. And that's where we pick up in Exodus 3, verses 1. We have Moses, a shepherd in Midian. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. And now this is the original Jethro, not the one from the Clampets. The priest... The priest of Midian, he led the flock far out into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God, which we'll read so much more about in the coming. And listen, here's, the, here's what we need to see. Moses spent 40 years in Pharaoh's luxurious courts. He's going to spend 40 years now in the fields, in the monotony of watching sheep. For 40 years, he had the choicest cuts of meat on golden plates, and now he will eat for 40 years around a campfire. For 40 years, he had perfumed clothing and incense burning in rooms. And now for the next 40 years, he's going to smell the aroma of sheep. Like it could not be more different. His first 40 years versus his second 40 years could not be more different. But God is preparing him something on the other side of this season. There's more on that next week. Exodus 3, let's go. He led the flock to the far end of the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of, the bu of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing. Now, this is Moses writing. He could, this is amazing. He must have said to himself, why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. Now, there is a principle here worth stopping and looking at before we get to the name. And I just want to have a question. And you guys all know the answer to this. Like, how long does it take a bush to burn? Take an average, you know, a shrubbery, right? How long does it take a bush to burn up? I mean, five minutes, 10 minutes? How long does it take it? I, I don't know. Let's be honest. A bush burning out in the wilderness isn't that big of a deal. The only thing strange here about the site was that Moses noticed it wasn't being consumed. It wasn't burning up, which begs the question, how long do you have to watch a burning bush before you know it's not burning up? You've all wondered that, right? But it's a question worth asking. I mean, you can just glimpse a bush on fire and go, oh, the bush is on fire, and then we know that. But, but you have to pause. You have to watch it. You have to, to look at it. God indwells the flame that is in the bush, but Moses sees it, and something about it causes him to stop and watch. Watching long enough that he knows this isn't just some normal, everyday circumstance. He observes long enough to see that there's something strange, something supernatural afoot. This is, amazes me. I must go see what it is. There's something here that meets, that's more than meets the eye. He has stopped. Moses has slowed down long enough to look at the bush and realize that something is happening. Rabbi Kushner, who's a Hebrew scholar, he says it this way. He says, the burning bush wasn't actually a miracle. It was a test. God wanted to find out whether or not Moses could pay attention to something more than just a few minutes. When Moses did, he came forward and God spoke. The principle is to pay attention to what is going on around you long enough to behold the miracle without falling asleep or being distracted. 
There's another world right here within this one whenever we pay attention. There is a spiritual world right here among this one when we slow down and pause long enough to see and pay attention. One of the reasons God might have chosen Moses is he found somebody who would slow down and recognize the presence and the move of God amidst life's busyness. Now, now, Orchard, there are moments in your life daily where God is flaring up. There are burning bush moments throughout our days. But with our busy lives and short attention spans, we miss the fact most often that there is something supernatural afoot, even in the most natural of circumstances. Because of all the distractions, we miss the wonder of God intersecting our lives throughout our day. I mean, one of the things I hear most is, how do, how do I know it's the voice of God? How do I hear the voice of God? That's something we all ask, and yet how many of us spent great swaths of time, uninterrupted time, on our phone, on Facebook, and Instagram, and Pinterest, and Netflix, reading, hobbies, activities, just noise, etc., etc.? I mean, we say things like, I've said this, I have ADHD, you know, like it's an excuse or like it's a badge. But in reality, the inability to take time and to pause and recognize God's move in everyday circumstances starves my spiritual life. Spiritual ADD isn't a badge, it's a blinder to what God is doing. Moses could have glanced at the burning bush and then gotten back to Candy Crush 2.0, but, but he chose, he chose to be undistracted. Could it be, Orchard, that the very things that distract us are the very things that are detracting from us life's most precious resource, the presence of God in our life? I mean, if I'm honest, distractions often get the best of my attention, the first fruits of my attention, Perhaps at this very moment in your life somewhere, there's a burning bush in the periphery of your heart calling you to come. God's calling you, beckoning you to come and watch and wait and receive from the heart of God. You see, the heart of God, like a bush, it, it, the burning bush, it, it burns to be known by you. God's heart burns to be known by you that you would know him. God's word is on fire with supernatural wisdom for those who have the gumption and the passion to seek it and pull aside and listen. God's heart burns to do great works in you and do great works through you. His heart burns to give you freedom from the anxieties and the vices and the struggles that we have. The heart of God burns for his people. But who will take the time, especially in today's age, to quiet, to pull aside, and to undistractedly Seek God in those moments. The burning bush is a symbol of everyday circumstances with supernatural significance for those who can see beyond their busyness. There are burning bushes every day in our lives where God is revealing himself to us, calling us to him, speaking to us. But our radios, our podcasts, our phone calls, emails, texts, and busyness, they keep our attention from those most sacred moments. God is there, but unless we pause, unless we have an eye out for the sacred, unless we see that this is a strange sight, like God's arranging something here in my day, God is moving some things here in my day, we will assume it's just part of our busyness and move past it. One of the wisest things we can do in our busy lives is to daily carve out some time, quiet, uninterrupted time to draw near the fire of God and feel the heat and hear his voice 
and be in his presence, in prayer, in his word, and in listening to him. So Moses sees this strange sight. He he watches it long enough to realize that there is something happening that is not normal, something supernatural. So he goes to investigate. Verse four, when Moses, sorry, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, here I am, he replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face. He was afraid to look at God. And then God goes on to tell Moses that he has a plan to rescue his people and that he wants Moses to be the one to go and speak for him and go to Pharaoh. He says this in verse 10, now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. What comes after this are the five excuses of Moses. And we're gonna cover those next week. And we're gonna find ourselves in those five excuses when God calls us to something. For now, we skip down to 13. Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they'll ask, what's his name? What should I tell them? Now, why, why? But you know one reason why? They've been, in, they've been in hundreds of years of bondage and slavery. Their culture has been ground to a powder under the boot of the Egyptians. They don't know the name of their God. They don't know their culture. They know the Egyptian gods. Who am I to tell them? What is the name of, the, what is the name of our God of our ancestors? And God replies, I am who I am. You tell them I am has sent you. I am who I am. In Hebrew, Ehye, Asher, Ehye. Say that with me. Say, Ehye, Asher, Ehye. I am who I am. There's been more ink used to discuss those three words and the name to follow than most commentaries on the Old Testament combined. You cannot reach the bottom of the writings on these things right here. Ehia, Asher, Ehia. I will be who I will be. I am the eternally present one. I am who I am. If you were with us in the John series, Jesus, uh, he has seven different mentions of I am statements. If you remember, he, Jesus steps into this and says, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. He is reminding them, I am who I am. God gives Moses this first person name, I am. But God's gonna go ahead and give him another name, a third person name that that Moses will take with him. He says this, God says to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, the name you remember for all generations. Now leave that verse up there. He says, leave that verse up. But he says, this is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Somewhere in there is God's name. And we've talked about this briefly before in the past. So some of you know, but many of you look up there and go, so what is his name? Is, this, is it that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Like, wh- where's God's name in that? Now you'll notice something. You'll see Lord is in all caps there. And we've mentioned this, that anytime you see Lord in all caps, it's not like when you text, you're angry at somebody. No, I said milk, no. It's, it's just like, this is a different word. It's not like an emphasis of, of all caps. This is a different word. Whenever you see Lord in lowercase, it means Adonai, which is just a simple title of Lord or Master. But capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is a specific name. And it comes through these four Hebrew consonants, yod Hey, vav Hey. We'll see them up here in the original Hebrew. 
the four consonants, yod heh vav heh, from right to left. Those of you Hebrew scholars are reading it right now. yod heh vav heh. Now, the Hebrew had no vowels, and so actually it was those four consonants. It's called the tetragrammatron. Now, tetragrammatron sounds like a transformer. It's not. It's a name. But there is more than meets the eye to this name. Now, the name of God is important, but how do you pronounce it? This has been the place of intense study. I, I mean, this is the name of God for all generations. Sages and scholars have invested life works on this, and based on linguistic clues and ancient traces, it's most often it's believed that the name here is Yahweh. Yahweh. That's where I have landed as well. Yahweh, it's, mo- it's used almost 7,000 times throughout the Old Testament, starting right here. This is, this is the name of God. He says, you'll know me from every um, generation to generation. A sacred name. It was soon considered so sacred that there were people who would not even say it. It became a name that shall not be named. Rabbis refer, they don't refer to Yahweh. In fact, in the writings of antiquity and even now, they will actually say Hashem, which means the name. That's what they'll put in the place of Yahweh. And so if you were reading this in the Hebrew Bible, it would say, say this to the people of Israel, Hashem, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me. But we say Yahweh, God's name, his name forever. For our generation, I believe so. I teach my children so. But there's much more to this name of God. There's so much more, and there's so many different ways to take this sermon from here and and explore the many facets of of Yahweh and what that means for us. Because like all things with God, it's much more complex than we can imagine, and it's so much more simple. You see, Yahweh, he's both creator and he's sustainer, which means Yahweh is the creator God far above. It also means he's the sustainer. It means he's personally close. How close is Yahweh? How close is God to us? How involved in your daily life is this God that Moses meets right here? How close is Yahweh to your daily life? David wrote in Psalms that Yahweh sustains my very life and soul. Over and over, Yahweh is mentioned as the one who sustains our very existence. What is it that sustains you daily? What is it that sustains us second by second even now as you listen, even now as you're in this room or following with us, what is it sustaining you right now at this moment? You see, on one hand, he is Yahweh, the great I am that I am. He's Yahweh who beckons Moses to come near on naked feet and feel the fire. He's far above us, yet he's so intimately close. In fact, the ancient Hebrew scholars and sages, they they, they discovered something amazing about this. They believe that this very name Yahweh, the God that sustains us, that I asked what's sustaining you even while you're listening, what's sustaining all of us is this, Yahweh. That his very name is the sound of breathing, that these are aspirating syllables, that to breathe, Yahweh. is to actually say the name of the I am. To be alive is to declare the name of God. The very name of the sustainer is declared with each breath that we breathe. One teacher asked this question. 
When a baby is born and when it bursts forth from the womb and announces his or her arrival, how do we know the baby is alive and thriving? Is it when the baby takes its first breath or is it when it first says the name of God? When someone passes from this world and they can no longer breathe, is it because they no longer have their breath or they can no longer say the name of the Lord? When you are sitting across the table from an atheist who's laying, up, laying out for you the, the case how there is no God, and in between every sentence, yeah, they breathe the name of the God they deny. Genesis 2, God creates Adam. It says that God breathed into his very nostrils the breath of life, the breath of God. Yahweh placed the breath of life, and Adam, immediately at that moment, began to declare the name of the I Am. Job speaks of this. The spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives me life. Paul in Acts 17, in God, we live, we move, we exist. And in God himself gives us life and breath. You know, we go about our normal day and we forget about, we get so busy doing life, we forget about God. How do we remember some of these things? Like, how do we bring God into our normal day? Here's, here's, here's one way you can do this. You're, you're, out, you're out, you're in traffic, you're doing something, you're frustrated, you're angry. It happens daily. It's gonna happen on the way home for many of us, right? Take a second, pause, and breathe. And declare the name of the I am. Invite him into your frustrating circumstance. Or as Psalm 25, 4 says, show me the right path, Yahweh. Point the road for me to follow in this circumstance. How about during the day do you find yourself anxious or afraid or consumed by worry? When you're in those moments of anxiety, pause, stop, take a breath. Affirm the name of God. Pause and may his name be an anchor in the midst of your fear. Or as David put it, Psalm 29, 11, Yahweh gives me strength. Yahweh gives me peace. Are you busy and consumed with work? You know, you get through an entire day of work and realize I didn't think about God once today. I can go through a week and not think about God at all. I've set an alarm throughout my day just a little alarm that goes off and all I do in that moment is to stop and pause and take a breath and be reminded of whose I am and whose breath is in my lungs. I declare Yahweh, the God of my work, the God of my labor, the God of my day. I use this name as a starting point to get me praying and inviting him in throughout my day. Or Psalm 9 verses 10 says, those who know your name trust in you. For you, Yahweh, have never forsaken those who seek you. I want to clarify something. This is no pagan breathing ritual. This is being reminded that the name of God is in your lungs and on your breath. It's being reminded that Yahweh is your sustainer, that yes, he is the God who's the creator, but he's so present, he's so intimate, he is there with you even in that moment. It's declaring that Yahweh is the I am in your life with every breath that you take. That even in the dull circumstance moments, like Moses had there with, with the sheep, that something supernatural can happen. May your breathing be a declaration of whose life is actually in your lungs, on your lips, and in your heart. May each breath you have declare the name of your God, and may you begin to be conscious of this throughout your day so that you are praying.
For me, this name is a catalyst to re-engage with God in communication and prayer. I remember, I take a breath. Under my breath, I say that. And in that prayer, it leads me into, Yahweh, I need you this day. You are vital to me. Would you be as vital to me in this day as my very breath? Would you be as close to me even now as my own breath? I praise you with every breath of my being. What if we did this? What if, our breath, what if we were reminded of God throughout our day simply by pausing and saying his name? How much would you pray if you prayed the name of Yahweh with each breath? Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. He says, pray without ceasing. Never stop praying. Pray continually. You see, when you reach out and you're praying and the, to the I am, the Yahweh in your prayer, you begin to see his presence in mundane places like Moses did. You begin to see him active in ordinary places like your living room, your office, on the bus, in your car, etc. You begin to see burning bushes and opportunities of God intertwining the supernatural into your natural because you're slowing down to declare his name with eyes to see and a heart that's listening. What if we could begin to incorporate this into our life to pray without ceasing that every breath, a moment, a prayer to the I am, and a declaration of whose we are and who is our God. What if God is far grander, far greater and far more vast than we realize? Those sermons are easy to give. I mean, he's the God who, who flung the stars into existence. He flung stars into existence that some of us will never see. He's grand, he's great, he created everything. But when we stand on Sopris or look at the Sopris or look at a mountain, we don't worship the mountain, we worship the creator, not the creation. He is grander, he is greater, he is far more vast. We wonder at his greatness, but the marvel of this today should be that he is God, Yahweh. He's far more involved, far more intimate, and he's far more close than you would ever realize. That he's as close as your own breath that through Jesus, his spirit is within us. Yes, he's the God who flung the stars into space, but he breathed his breath, his very name into your life. The beauty and his glory are on display all around us of our creator God, but his love is display on display within us. His name is on your lips. His son died and rose again with you on his heart and mind. In Yahweh, he gave up his son so that he could carry us past our last breath into eternity because of the sacrifice of Jesus. It also means because of Jesus. For those of you who've taken faith in Jesus, it says that his spirit resides within you, which means that your spirit is now holy ground where his very presence resides. We need to marvel at the greatness of God, but we need to be reminded and humbled at the intimacy and the closeness of God. He is as close as your next breath. Orchard, it's important for us that not just our breath and our lungs declare his name. Our lives must declare his name. May our love declare his name to a world who is continuing to see the church is irrelevant and judgmental. And may our peace declare his name to those who are different than us, don't look like us, don't live like us, don't vote like us. May our forgiveness declare his name for those who have wronged us. May our compassion declare his name for those who are in need around us. 
May our generosity declare his name with great joy. May our courage declare his name by standing up for what is right and holy. May our joy declare his name in a world desperate for fixes of happiness. May our actions declare Yahweh as God. May our lives declare, declare Yahweh as good. And may our love declare Yahweh as Lord of all. For all who see us, may they know the glory and the love of the God who not just breathed his breath into us, but gave us his love to put into action to those around us. Yahweh's name is on your lips. It's in your breath. But he did not intend it to stay there. In Orchard, for far too long, we've been far too silent. Well, we might breathe the name of Yahweh, we don't speak the name of Jesus. And I think as we've been talking as a church about that holy boldness and the courage that, that we don't go to church, we are the church, that we go forth and we speak of the redemption and the salvation of a savior who loved us so much he gave his own life. That we take courage, that yes, we breathe, and we live and are sustained by Yahweh. Our heart has been infused by Jesus and we go forth and invite others into that, that they may know. So what's the response today? The response is this. As you take communion here for a few minutes, as you hold the symbol of Jesus's blood and body broken for you, I want you to just spend a second declaring the name of Yahweh, Yahweh in your life. The God who spoke to Moses and said, this is holy ground, speaks to you, sent his son for you, loves you. Thank Yahweh for his son, Jesus. Confess your sins, reaffirm your faith in Jesus before you take those elements. And then in gratitude, thank Jesus for his body and his blood. Let's take communion together. into worship, we are going to sing of Yahweh. We're going to sing of the exodus he brings us as he rescues us from the places that we are held back. And I've told you before, many of us have had a genesis of faith as we believe in Jesus, but all of us need an exodus as God needs to leads us out of something. And today we're going to sing of Yahweh in this last song. Listen, his name is in your lungs and on your lips. But as the band begins to sing this next song, May you lift your voice, may you lift your heart, and may you lift your hands to declare Yahweh, sustainer of life in his son Jesus, through whom we have salvation. Will you stand with me? Let us use the breath in our lungs to declare of his greatness.